Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. I don't know if you remember this, but it was about uh, four years ago or something like that, that uh, all the news was about net neutrality. Like for about two days or like maybe a week, there was this controversy about net neutrality and people were posting their opinions online about this is terrible and this is amazing, this is the worst thing and this is the greatest thing. Um, that, that controversy kind of came and went rather quickly. I still don't know what it was about. I don't really understand net neutrality, but I, I know, what I do know is that I was supposed to be really upset about it. So there was like outrage with that. And the reason I don't really know what it is and why I didn't get out upset about it is because like a week later, there was something else that I was supposed to be upset about. So I kind of latched onto that, which was followed by another thing that I was supposed to be upset about. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but there really is this trend of like a constant cycle of outrage and, and just getting like worked up all the time over whatever the next hot thing is. And it feels like this is a, a newer thing. I mean, there's always been sort of a news cycle, but this, it seems like it's really accelerated in the last few years. Like, I don't remember so much outrage when I was younger. Maybe it's because I was younger. Or maybe the world was a different place. But I do think media and social media drives a lot of it, the, the outrage that we, that we feel. Um, and, and maybe ignorance is bliss. Maybe not knowing all the time uh, what's going on in all of the places is actually maybe the way we were designed to be and a good thing. You know, if, if, people, had, if people had live tweeted the Normandy invasion, I don't think we could handle that, right? Oh, like, viva la France, hashtag viva la France, they're, they're invading here, like what's going on? You know, like this whole thing, it, it, we, did, we just didn't know. We, did, we didn't know to be outraged. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't understand concentration camps, and we should have, you know, like the, the outrage that kind of pops up. We just didn't understand all of that because we weren't exposed to it at all times. Now, if, if somebody like loses, loses their mind in Kroger and raises their voice, somebody's got a video of it, and it's going to be posted for your viewing consumption, right? Like it's... It's just gotten weird out there. And in addition to like this constant stream of outrage, it's like people are fighting to take it even farther and, and go to 11. Not everything needs to go to 11. Not everything needs to be a hyperbole. Not everyone is literally Hitler. There was one guy who was literally, literally Hitler, and he's literally dead. So we don't have to like always go there, but this is where we go as a culture. Oh, this is the worst thing, and you're the most terrible thing ever, and it, it, it's it's... It's wild. Um, and, and, you know, you see these things, and I, I talked about this a few weeks ago. You see the, the bumper sticker, if you aren't angry, you aren't paying attention. And that just has the opposite effect on me. I'm like, I don't want to be angry. I'm going to not pay attention, I guess, because I, I just want to nap. I just, I don't know, I, like, I don't want to do this. I just, I'm done with the whole yelling outrage thing. I'm not interested. What I want to do is go away and just, Get away from that. And I suppose if you have the time or the money, you can sort of like escape to the country and just kind of get away from it all. And, and, and I have that in me, this sort of escapist fantasy that I'm going to leave. I, I, I joke with my wife. I'm like, we could, we could, what I really want is to like go somewhere quiet and like open a small clock repair shop. Um, that sounds good. Not large clocks, but just the small ones because who cares about the large ones? But the small ones... And repair them, 
and that'll be nice. Now, it's probably not lucrative. I don't know how to repair anything, but it, it sounds nice to me. I'm like, I'll do that, and then what I want to do is be like that little old man who goes into town, and me and another old man, we sit there and we play backgammon or like dominoes, like in the, in the next in the little cafe on Tuesday mornings. Like that sounds good. Bonus points if we're speaking Italian or if, if it's in Italy. Like I think like this is how life's going to end up for me, right? I hope. I can't speak Italian. I can't repair clocks. So I'm not good at backgammon, but whatever. It's, it's the fantasy, right, of like get away from, and what I think I'm trying to get away from is all the outrage and all the anger that flies about and all that you have to care about this, and this is really important. This is a big deal. Some of that digital sludge that comes at us, I'm trying to get away from that, um, and, and I think a lot of you can relate to that, and you probably are too, but I, I, I don't know that escape is the answer. I actually think that the Lord can grow us um, in the midst of a culture of outrage and can grow some things in us that will help us deal with it and, and be, and, and, and be uh, more whole and more healthy people, even, even in an outrage culture. Um, the, the, the antidote, I think, to outrage um, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit here this whole series. We're finishing up this week and then next week, and then we're wrapping up this series. I've got a lot of good feedback from you guys about where these things are hitting for you. Um, these are certainly character, these vintage character qualities that God is trying to grow in us. And as we look at our lives, these are the things we should be growing in, not just growing our 401k or whatever. Like these qualities are, this is who we are, and these things should be increasing in our lives. So let's read this together. We've been reading every week. Read out loud with me. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes this to the church in Galatians. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right there in that list, um, gentleness is the one I want to talk about. Gentleness is a, um, sometimes it's helpful to look at the Greek word, because this is written in Greek, not in English, and sometimes whenever you translate from one language to another, you're always approximating, okay, this is this concept in this language, what are some words in English that kind of meet that, mean that thing in Greek? And the Greek word is prautes, and it means um, gentleness is pretty good. It also can mean humility, and it also can mean meekness. Okay, so those are some, some of the words that it often gets translated in when you translate it into English. Gentleness is interesting, though, because I think, and when I think of gentle, and maybe you do too, we think gentleness means like soft, like, oh, oh, oh be gentle. We, we think it, it means handle this with kid gloves, is an old phrase we might use. Um, be delicate with this. Like, if you're holding a bird in your hand, you have to be gentle, apparently. I don't know. You're handling a vase, something that is easily broken. Oh, be gentle with that. And, and something about that makes us think that, that oh, this is, this is being soft, and something about gentleness is actually like weakness. The original audience in Galatia, which is sort of south, currently would be like south-central Turkey in that area, the original audience that would have heard this list um, they might not have had a favorable reaction to that Greek word prautes. They, they might not have thought, oh, I should totally be that. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, something like gentleness, meekness, humility, these were not qualities that people valued or admired. 
A slave was going to be meek or gentle or something like that. That's what slaves do. That's what people who, they need to be deferential to the people in charge. A, a proper Greco-Roman, you know, you, you're not going to be gentle. Like, that's not a thing that you would aspire to be. Think of the movie 300. Slight exaggeration, but we're talking about dudes that kill people and break things. That's not gentle. That's not kind of, that's not kind of their whole vibe in, in the ancient world. But the word praotes and, and that idea of gentleness actually means something more like showing great restraint with the strength that you have. It is, is having strength but having it under control. It is taking your strength and voluntarily backing off and laying it down for the good of, or of another or for the, for the, for the situation. Um, the only way to, to be gentle then, the only way to go easy on someone is that you have the capacity to go pretty hard on someone and be tough, right? So there's actually, gentleness actually has strength sort of built into it in, in the background. And I want to point that out because I think men in particular need to be reminded of this um, because these character qualities, as you read them, the fruit of the Spirit are not gendered. So it's not like, oh, women are supposed to be loving, joy, and gentle, and peaceful, and men are supposed to be patient, and kind, and good, or whatever. Like, there's no gender to that. These are lists for the disciples of Jesus, all of us. We are supposed to be growing in these things. And if you think gentleness is weakness, you won't even want to become gentle. You'll just feel like, oh, that's lame. Like, I don't, I break things. That's what I'm strong. Like, no. These things are not gendered. So it, it's a, it's a, it needs to be a reminder um, to, to, to us. There are a few texts in the Bible that talk about men and women separately. Not many, but there's a few. Husbands, wives, that kind of thing. And they sometimes say different things to the genders. But mostly what the Scripture talks about is just people, just disciples, just children of God, all of us. And what it's telling us is um, that gentleness is a quality that we should all want to be. It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you have strength. You just have it under control. And I want to make that disclaimer right up front because if you don't value gentleness, you won't ever try to grow in it. But it's something we all need. So I want to, sh- I want to read you a, 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 an account of Jesus and an interaction he had um, where he's, he's very gentle. And he has a tremendous amount of strength and it's under tremendous control. And this is easily one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. In fact, I've been preaching here 14 years this is probably a story from the Gospels I've told more than any other one. So you may have heard me teach on this before. It's probably been a few years. Uh, but I think this is so powerful, and there's so much going on here, and there's different ways to look at it. Um, but today specifically, I want us to see the gentleness that Jesus shows in how he interacts with this woman. And this is recorded. Uh, the Gospel writer John, he, he writes this for us. And it's recorded in John chapter 8. Um, and I will pick that up starting with verse 1. Uh, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So, what do you say? 
They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. All right, understand what's going on here. Jesus sits down to teach. Uh, people come and listen to him teach. is a very common thing, rabbis and stuff. And then some, some other religious teachers, leaders, and experts in the law. So they have civil law like the Roman Empire would. There's civil law there. And then they have religious law. We don't, we're not used to that a lot. Um, it, Islamic countries might have Sharia law, that kind of idea. Well, there's a, a separate set of laws on top of Jewish citizens that are, you, you, you follow the Jewish laws, the stuff that's written in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all that. Like, you follow these Old Testament laws. And so they're coming to Jesus and saying, this woman, they bring this woman who was caught in the act, it says, of adultery. That's probably as graphic as that sounds, right? Like, okay, that's, whoa. And they bring this woman to Jesus and they, they bring this, like, test to him, um, and it says they're testing him. They're basically like, hey, the law of Moses says we're supposed to stone this woman. Literally take her outside because of what she has done. Take her outside, throw rocks at her until she is dead. It's not, it, it's rough. Like, it is rough, right? And they bring this to Jesus, and they say, hey, here's this woman. She, she's been caught in adultery. The law says we're supposed to kill her. What do you think? This puts Jesus in a weird spot because if he says, no, don't kill her, they're going to be like, why doesn't this guy follow the law, right? But if he does say to kill her, then he's going to look very, like, not merciful, not compassionate, not loving, all these things he claims to be, right? So they're trying to put him in this very awkward spot. And it says, at this point, Jesus bends down and writes with his finger on the ground. Let me just touch on that for a second because... I actually think that's an interesting detail to include in the story um, because it just doesn't mean anything or it's not anything we can figure out what it means. Like it does not, the, the fact that, G, and it'll be mentioned again in a second, the fact that Jesus hears them, stoops down, starts writing something on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. He'll, he'll do it again in a second. We don't know what he wrote. We don't know why he was writing. It doesn't affect the story at all. It's not like, and then he wrote this, and they were like, oh, why did you just write that? Like, there's no, there's, it, it just, it just is, okay? I, I, I want to point that out because I think this is one little piece of evidence that this is actually a true account of what really happened in the real world. This is not a fable. This is not a myth. If you go back and read any ancient writing from this time period, they do not include details like that. Go read, you know, the Odyssey or the Iliad or things like that. This is not how people wrote back then. They don't include those kind of details. We're used to those kind of details in modern writing. If we wrote this today, we would be like, and Jesus was feeling the stirring in his heart, and he wiped the sweat from his brow, and then he knelt down, and his, his, his legs were tired, and then a gentle rain began to fall. Like, that's how we write. That's not how people in the ancient world write. So the very fact that this little insignificant doesn't move the story along detail is included is evidence, I would say, I would argue, this is evidence that John's just recording what actually happened. Like, it's true. This isn't like a made-up thing. He didn't need to include that detail, but he does. So he tells us this, and then um, let's, let's read what happens, because Jesus could have chosen an angry response here. I think he chooses a very gentle response Verse 7, 
And as they continued to ask him, he stood up. Okay, he was writing on the ground. Who knows what? He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. That's kind of the famous pull quote that you'd pull from this whole story. Let, let him who's without sin throw the first stone, right? Who are you to judge? If you, ha- if you don't have any sin, go ahead and throw a stone at her. But if you, you be the first one to do it. Um, let him who has the first sin. Um, but when they heard it, it says... But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Interesting. Uh, Let him who is without sin, and then it's like this wave of realization crashes over the crowd. Jesus is like, yeah, you can throw rocks at her, that's fine, just as long as you're sinless. Any of you who are sinless, you go, like if you've never done anything wrong, you go ahead and do it. And there's this wave of realization where they go, Oh, oh, I guess I can't stone her. And another interesting detail, the older ones leave first. Isn't that a weird detail to throw in there? Makes sense though, right? Like, he's like, if you have no sin, you throw the first stone. It's the older people in the room who are like, oh, I got plenty of sin. <laughs> I got like a lifetime of that. All right, I'm out. There's a couple of young hotheads who are like, what? I've never done anything wrong. And then they eventually realize, oh, yeah, I guess I can't either. And everybody just walks away. Verse 10. Maybe my favorite part of this whole thing. Verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus, in a very gentle way, has reframed this whole thing. Um, and it, it's not like she didn't do something wrong. There was, there, was a, there was a thing going on there, like caught in adultery, like she's cheating on somebody's spouse here. She's either married, he's married, whatever. They're not married to each other, they're whatever. Like there's this whole thing going on. Um, and Jesus has reframed this whole uh, situation and he's basically like, um, hey, does anyone here have sin? You could throw a stone at her. And everyone walks away. The only person left then is this woman and him. And he's the only one who has no sin. So he's, he's sinless. So if he wanted to condemn her, he absolutely could. He could throw the first stone. But he doesn't even do that. He says, where'd everybody go? And she says, they, they all left. And he says, well, I'm, I'm not going to condemn you either. That's powerful. That is strength, but it's, it's under control. Did she need to be told? Did she need to be told off? I don't think so. I, I think she was probably pretty aware of what the stakes were at this point, knew what she had done, knew what the cost of that might be. If, if he had condemned her, I mean, she probably already felt bad. If he had condemned her, you know, or if they had all condemned her, that would have ended her life. But instead, he's gentle with her. And it doesn't end her life. It actually, I would argue from that point on, forever changed her life. The trajectory and her, what she thought. The gentle grace of Jesus completely changes her. Now notice also, it's not like he said to her, oh, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. He doesn't say that. 
he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Now, that's hard for us to hear because in our culture, telling someone that they've sinned at all would be condemnation. So it sounds like, how does he say, I don't condemn you, also you're a sinner? But I think this is where the grace of Jesus is balanced with the truth of Jesus. Scripture says Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. He's not saying, oh, it's no big deal, nothing, it, it wasn't a thing, you know, just don't, don't worry about the haters. Like, he actually dismissed all the haters, so I guess she doesn't have to worry about them. But it's not like he, he then said to her, you're fine, you didn't do anything wrong. He says, no, I'm not going to condemn you. Also, stop doing what you're doing. And that is a powerful thing. The gentleness there softens the heart. And that does, doesn't just work for Jesus to some, some random lady that he meets. That works for you and I when we, when we approach others. There's something about gentleness that, that softens, softens the heart. And then he calls her to repent, to change. You have to have, you have, to have both sides. Um, so a couple points here and then we're done. Number one, gentleness de-escalates the outrage. Gentleness de-escalates the outrage. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says it this way. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's a soft answer that turns away the wrath. The harsh word, that, that fuels it, or maybe put it in modern context. Angry tweets will keep fueling angry tweets. What would it look like to be more gentle and not keep driving the outrage, um, and, and how would we do that? Like, we have to think about that in our own life. For me, um, I, I can be a little sharp-tongued and maybe um, sharp with a keyboard. And so for me, uh, I, don't, I don't write much on social media. I'll read and I'll see what's going on and whatever. Um, but I don't, I don't write much. I don't post all the things I think about. Um, it is okay, even in the modern world, to have unpublished thoughts. To have, to have, it's okay to not take the picture. It's okay to take the picture and not post it. Like, it's, it's okay. And so I, I wonder if that, that would help, because a lot of times when I have, when I have things to add, I'm going to throw you know, grease on a fire, and that's not going to be a good thing. And so for me, what I've tried to do is not engage too much. Um, it's okay to not have a hot take. Sometimes people read, oh, what do you think about that? I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not going to hot take all of whatever is, is happening now because uh, I don't want to add to the outrage. And even times I have tried to be gentle or calm things down, um, you know how that goes online. You, you, you try to step in and you get like in the crossfire, <laughs> you know. Um, so that's, that's, not, that's not always helpful. Um, pursuing gentleness online but also pursuing gentleness. I think in personal relationships, if we're going to be more gentle, I think we need to learn to be like Jesus and how he engages these things, which means you've got to read what Jesus did. Read the Gospels. Learn what he did. Learn to live like he did. Learn to imitate his approach to the world. Um, that, will, that will actually help. Um, you become more gentle when you see the way he handles it. Man, I think of this John 8 story a lot of, of how he engages with something he would have disagreed with, 
Like, no, this isn't a good thing what you're doing, but how he engages is so crucial. So gentleness de-escalates the outrage. Number two is this, gentleness helps move things forward. Proverbs 25.15 says this, with patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. A soft tongue, like it'll, it'll wear, you can wear someone down. It, it, it actually has power. It could, it could cut. It could break the bone, potentially. Like, there's, there's a lot that can be done with a soft tongue that you don't need to bring a hammer down on someone. It's, what's the old phrase? You get, you get more with honey than with vinegar, right? Um, I, I think Proverbs would, would, would agree with that. Harsh words and outrage, that'll work in the short term. That'll get clicks. It'll drive revenue. Um, and it might even feel good. It might even feel good, all that outrage. Uh, writer, uh, writer Tim, Tim Kreider wrote for the New York Times, um, and he wrote an article, and he was talking about outrage porn. That's what he called it, outrage porn. Um, and he said that anything that is designed to get clicks or attention based solely on evoking outrage. So these are the, all your clickbait sort of headlines like, you know, she said this in the grocery store, and you'll never believe what happened next. And you're like, oh, maybe I won't. I'm going to click on it and see if I believe it, you know, or whatever. Um, there, there are, there's plenty of this designed to drive outrage. And it's called outrage porn. The word porn gets used because, similar to pornography, it gives short-term satisfaction but leaves you feeling empty on the other side of it. And it gives you a feeling, this is weird, outrage gives you a feeling of being, it gives you a feeling of power by being offended and the reason that works, because that, that, I had to sit with that for a minute. I'm like, does it feel good to be offended? Well, kind of, because what it does is it makes you feel, at least in the short term, morally superior. Oh, I'm, well, they did. I can't believe they, I'm better than that. And I'm better than that feels good in, in the short term. Um, what phones were for porn, I think 2020 was for outrage. And we rode that roller coaster of you're doing it wrong and this is right and I'm superior and this is, you're bad and there's a roller coaster of self-righteousness. Tim Kreider writes in an article, outrage is like a lot of other things that feel good but over time devour us from the inside out. And it's even more insidious than most vices because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. Um. I really think there's something to that. And, and I would even add this, that the outrage, the end game of outrage, or the, the end result of the constant cycle of this, is bitterness. And, and I, would, I would also add loneliness. Like, the constant outrage separates us from everyone until at the end of the day, it's just us. And you've seen that. You've probably seen that in, in your family, and, and, and we all have to fight the tendencies in ourselves to not be so outraged. And I think the antidote to all of that is gentleness. It pulls us back from the outrage and helps drive us forward. Just like pornography doesn't drive true intimacy, outrage doesn't drive true connection either. What is needed is a gentle spirit. So let's become like Jesus in being more gentle. Now, this is where someone who knows the Scripture really well wants to argue and say, well, wait, Jesus wasn't always gentle. 
I think I read in the Bible that one time Jesus flipped over tables in the temple because he's really angry and he got a whip and he started, you know, that wasn't very gentle. That was violent. Um, and I would say, yes, it's actually recorded twice. So of the three-plus years of ministry of Jesus where he's going around teaching people, healing people, casting out demons, you know, having confrontations, whatever, of the three-plus years, we have two instances recorded where he flipped over tables. I, I, I don't think that should be, like, the base model for our lives. Like, I'm the kind of Christian who flips over tables. No, no, don't do that. Don't. You're probably going to do that wrong. Like, that just... That is a very small sample size of what Jesus did. Yes, is there such a thing as righteous anger? Absolutely. Um, but we have to be very careful with that. I think on the whole, if you look at Jesus' interactions, uh, there's, there's, there's a gentleness there. There's strength, yes, absolutely, but there's strength um, under, under control. Um, so how can we be more gentle? Um, I, w- I was thinking about this. I would say... Do some things that require gentleness to practice becoming gentle. And I was trying to think of good examples. I can't even think of, like, great examples of that. Uh, you know, I was thinking of things like um, t- to, to hit a golf ball, you can't grip the club too tightly. Um, that you, m- Muscles tense up. You have to be a little bit loose. You need a little bit of gentleness in the strength of the move to, to really do it well. But, you know, people don't play golf anymore, so I don't know. Maybe they don't. That analogy. I, I also thought like um, working with kids uh, requires a gentleness to you. It's, it's one thing you, you can start to develop in parenting or even working like with A10 kids. You, you learn um, h- how to connect um, and it requires strength under control. And so that could be a good thing. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying like you have anger issues, go volunteer in A10 kids. Like you got to pass the background check, all right? Like I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying just everybody just line up over there. This is going to be the way. But um, I do think um, being around the environments that require some gentleness um, helps to build it, uh, build it in you. Um, I'm not as gentle as I should be. Uh, I, I can think of ways I wasn't gentle this week. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a, a work in progress. But I'm so glad God is gentle with me. Um, like we spoke about a couple weeks ago, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The fact that he has all the strength in the world and is gentle with us, that, that should, that's powerful. And you see it here. Jesus was gentle with this woman caught in adultery, and it changed her. And what was true for her can be true for us, that he is gentle with us. We need to receive that gentleness from God. We need to thank him for it and then extend that gentleness to others. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. It is something to celebrate. It's something to sing about. It's something to rejoice with. It is something to remember that in a world that is trying to fuel the outrage, um, you still come to us as a gentle Savior um, who, who deals with us even when we blow it. He, you, you do not flip over the tables on us. Um, but you, you uh, have, have a, a gentle spirit. And I, I thank you for that, God. God, forgive us when we've blown it. We are not who we should be. None of us are. And we uh, are not even who we want to be. We're not who you're calling us to be. We have a lot of room to grow. So help us, Lord. Um, 
I, I, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit, I pray that the Holy Spirit inside of us does his work here and that the, uh, and that the, the, the gentleness grows in, in this community. God, may we be people who lead out in gentleness and are known for it. Um, not people who shy away from the truth, because that's, a, that's a, a fake substitute for gentleness, but people who are full of truth and full of grace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.